0: It's uh, a big, big stage for both these two, by far the biggest they've occupied so far. Dan? Is yeah. it Dan or Dan? Yeah, Dan, Dan. Dan, Dan. Throughout is fight, I'm going to call you Dan. Okay. Dan, this, Dan, that, yeah, Dan, yeah, this, yeah. Dan, that. We'll Name Charlie, okay? Yeah. If I call you Dan, you're fine. Yeah. If I'm calling you these, yeah. we'll do something wrong. Okay. You'll know we're doing wrong, just tidy up, we'll be down no. problems? Yes. Any questions? 12 stones six pounds nine ounces his professional record of perfect one eight fights eight victories five of them coming by way of knockout <laughs> Did you miss that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast. So the clip you heard at the beginning was just a promo video for Dan Aziz and, you know, Dan is a good friend of mine and has been an avid follower of the things I've done from before the New Age. So just me as a coach in general, as a personality, through to the New Age Boxing Podcast and following through to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. So I always like to shine light and show some love to the guys that show me love. If you remember before, we did one for John, where we promoted his fight. So Dan fights, I think, is November 9th. And I say that because I have a lot of respect for guys like Dan Aziz and John Palat. And they get a hard time. They're much maligned in the sport because they're people who, if you know you're boxing, you know how good they are. You also know how important they are to that boxing ecosystem. But what they don't get in return is they don't get that level of adulation, respect, love and attention that they probably deserve based on raw ability, not necessarily who and what they've been spoon-fed. So it was just about, you know, guys, don't forget Dan Aziz exists. He gave you a hell of a fight against Charlie Duffield. And don't forget that Charlie exists as well. So big shout out to, to those guys and to all the dirt trackers. And in rugby, we, we the dirt trackers, I know there's guys who are almost like the second team. So everyone knows who the first team are when a team goes on tour. Be beat the Lions, beat England, whoever. But people very rarely know the second string, but the second string is just as important because they feed into the first team. And I want to see these guys go from dirt trackers to main event stars. And so I'll keep supporting them for as long as I need to in order to get them to where they are. Damn, I just said where they are, where they need to be, so... Let's, let's pretend that never happened. But purpose of today is just a quick scan around what's been going on in boxing, just to give my take on a few things. I've just seen that Charlie Edwards has vacated his WBC title. Now, I don't believe for a second that anybody is surprised that he's vacated. I think the last fight showed if Suleiman had demanded a rematch, which I think would have been the, the morally right thing to do, I think Charlie Edwards was in trouble. But in vacating the title, then the question becomes, where do you go? We, we had the, I want to say the conception fight, and I might be wrong on the, on the guy that it was that uh, beat Charlie last time. And now we've got, you know, what happened in the last fight as well. And what worries me about Charlie is he doesn't seem to like it when it gets rough. But at that weight, it's very hard to find people who are pot shots, single-shot specialists. It's normally quite rough and rugged guys. So who are you going to put him in with? You know, Unless you're keeping him cool for like a year five fight. But even then, I think your five would bring it to him. So Charlie Edwards is in this really tough position of... You know, keep him away from anyone with a Latin-sounding name. Essentially, he's going to be his career path. But all the money fights are with people who have either Latin-sounding names... Japanese-sounding names or Thai-sounding names. And all those guys love a proper tear-up. So what do you do with Charlie Edwards? Because I think Charlie's supremely talented. I just don't believe he's got that that dog in him, which you're going to need at that weight because the punches come thick and fast. But he's a guy who suffers from what I call the British amateur curse, where we're so obsessed with guys that look good and guys that hit and don't get hit, and whatever people tell you, a lot of people in boxing are still conditioned by the, the, the tippy-tap system that used to exist before, where it was just, as long as the glove made contact, you scored a point, and that's how you won rounds. Bing, 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 until the clicker registered a certain number or there was a certain gap. And so we're in this era now of savage body punches, combination punches, guys who were horrible with the forearms, the elbows, the heads, And if you haven't had that coming up, it's very hard to build the resilience and the mental focus to overcome that. And so, perhaps that's going to be the Charlie Edwards conundrum. How do we show Charlie Edwards can be in a war and come out on top, without actually getting involved in a war and coming out on top? You know, I think that's an answer that Eddie Hearn will have to find, but you'd imagine his time on Matchroom is slowly dwindling down to an obvious conclusion, because... I don't think Hearn's got any further ideas for what to do with him. Because listen, it was awesome when he won the title. It was fantastic even. But now, we're like, be a champion. Win. Give us memorable nights. Give us memorable fights. We understand the family situation and we respect that. But now from Charlie Edwards, we need to see him in those tough fights. We need to see the heart of a champion. You know, otherwise he's just left with a Sonny Edwards fight in terms of a fight the fans want to see. Because of those lower weight classes, you can't pick and choose your opponents because fans barely care about people who weigh less than sixty kilograms. Like most people listening to this aren't even dating a woman that weighs less than sixty kilograms. So you're looking at, I mean, like what what do you do? You know, how do you have respect for a man who's probably the size of the average, you know, seventeen-year-old woman? Or girl, however you want to call it. It's, it's, not a, it's not a good look. So the challenge Charlie has now is how do you define yourself as a warrior in a white class where you know, you're know, you seemingly getting found out as a warrior. But I wish him all the best because I genuinely think he's a good guy and he's overcome a lot to get to this position. And we just want to see him prove what he's capable of. And on the subject of matchroom, now all of a sudden... You know, Chisora Park has fallen through and it's a spider bite. Ah, And maybe it is and maybe it's not, but it was a card that we were struggling to get interested in. and And now I'm not talking to these hardcores, these, you know, the Twitter experts, you know, the guys that know everything about boxing and nothing at the same time. These are not the guys I'm talking to right now. I'm talking to the guys who are going to pay for the pay per view. It was a hard sell, Josh Taylor, yeah, but we, we respect Taylor more for beating O'Hara Davis right now in his career, and I don't want to hear this postal stuff, I'm not that bothered about that, if we're being honest, in terms of name brand value, Victor Postal has none in the United Kingdom, start and end of it, not trying to hear anything counter to that, he has no name brand recognition. Look, Hearn hasn't even been able to recycle him, nor has any other promoter, so he has that against Progrey. Progre is nothing and no one in this country. Regis Progre could walk around West London and the police would probably just think he was selling crack. That's the start and end of it. So you're having to convince fans to pay, what is it, £20 for that? Mm, great. And then nominally you had Chisora, who we know is good entertainment. Whatever you want to say about his record, Derek's good entertainment on Fright night. If... And only if the other guy's style meshes well. Derek's not adaptable. Derek is a you need to come forward, I need to come forward, and we just need to slug it out till someone falls over. And he's good at that. But that fight's fallen through. So now this is a pay-per-view that's not really a pay-per-view. It's probably a fight where if it was on channel five, we'd be congratulating channel five on putting together a reasonable card. But this is Sky, this is match, and we expect a hell of a lot more. Hearn has to deliver because he's barely delivered since he's had that zone contract, and we might come on to that later. So now Derek's left without a dance partner. And, you know, you now look at his options, and it's it's pretty slim because the Americans don't have many heavyweights we care about. It's pretty much wilder, and that's about it. And everyone else seems to either be getting ready for their own fights or they've just come off one. So now what do you do if you if you're Eddie? Michael Hunter? Yes, but what does that really do for Hunter beating Chisora? I don't know. And then what does it do for Chisora beating Hunter? Probably not that much, but it could be an entertaining fight. I have a feeling Michael Hunter will struggle with the relentless pace that Chisora brings because he was okay against the guy in Bukoli who went slow and a guy in Ustinov who was horrible. That seems to be his lane, just being able to upset people. He's not going to do that with Derek. So does he need that fight when he's probably not that far off a world title fight? Uh, Don't know. And then you look at the other options, Povetkin. Povetkin's just fought, and he's 40 years old. Can his body really turn around that quick? Naturally. You then look around and you go, okay, so who else is there? And you're struggling for names. They could pull Usyk off and give him to Chisora, but that doesn't make any sense either. you just, ah. The best thing to do is actually just to say, look, Derek, postpone it for a bit, and we'll get you on your own show. And I'd like to see the Joe Joyce fight. You know, I know, I know there were some shenanigans with Frank, and Frank and Eddie have gone back and forth on this, and I know as fans, it's a fight we want to see because it's an all-British dust-up, and we will invest in this, because this will tell us something. How good is Joe? How much has Derek got left? And look, here was Frank's take on all of this. And we contacted him today. Try and make the fight for Joe Joyce. He came back and said he wanted 5 million. Is that all? <laughs> he must be having a lot of heavy sparring. That's all I can say at the moment. I mean, it's just... Yeah, but You know, normally normally people like to see I'm Team Frank, but in this case, I don't know if I can be Team Frank, because all Frank Wall would have had to say was, you know what, if Joe wants to fight on their show, let Joe fight on their show. Yeah. If you really believe in your guy and your guy will win, better that he fights and wins on a Sky show, a nominally pay-per-view show. You can do more with him. That, that's what it is. Right now, Joe Joyce kind of draws money but doesn't really draw money. You put him against Jasora in a meaningful pay-per-view clash, he will draw money amongst the hardcores and he might even cross over. Because the talking's is not going to do it and Sam Jones is 100% not going to do it. And I'm not saying that because uh, I'm on the anti-Sam Jones brigade, which I'm not. I like his hustle. But he hasn't cracked it yet. And Sam has had at least two years of banging this Joe Joyce drum and no one's really buying. Because we haven't seen that fight from Joe that says, you're a real destroyer. Or we haven't seen that fight from Joe that says, you're a real warrior. You could survive any situation. And that's what we want to see. The sooner the better, because Joe's not getting any younger. As for me, as a boxing fan, you say, who don't want to see Derek fight next? My simple answer is, is Tony Yoker. Boxing fans aren't invested enough in Tony Yoker. Tony Yoker looks to be the guy who, if all the heavyweights had to fight each other in like a, a Champions League last 16 stage type tournament, Yoka looks like a guy that would be in the semifinals, and we'd all be like, how the hell did he get there? He seemingly has everything. If he spoke English, he'd be a multi-millionaire by now. If Tony Yoka spoke English, Hearn would have blown the DAZN budget to sign him. And he would have sacked Anthony Joshua off as soon as he lost to Ruiz. All Yoka's missing is English, I promise you. Jab, pretty much 9, 10 out of 10. Backhand, 8, 9 out of 10. And I'm very harsh when I grade these. So when you see that, I'm telling you. Strength, ridiculous. Doesn't look like he's super strong, but he is. Consistent, savage, high work rate. Never seems to get tired in any situation and never looks stressed. Has anyone beaten up Dave Allen more comprehensively than Tony Oka did? I don't even think Price did. Ortiz definitely did. So Chisora versus Yoko would be a fight because you'd make a start instantly if Yoko won. And if Derek won, you'd remake him because we know how good Yoka is. We know how tough he is, how strong he is. So that's the fight I'd like to see. Derek versus Tony Yoka, but I don't see it happening for any number of reasons. Number one, Derek's not stupid. David Hayes not stupid. This is a gravy train that needs to run for at least another year for David to get the kind of money that his lifestyle demands. And... More importantly, David needs to show himself to be a viable manager for as long as it takes for the Olympics to happen. Because at that point there, that's when you imagine the whole haymaker machine will spring into force. And the reason I say that is if you go back to 2016 and the whole Ringstar experiment, it all kind of happened a bit late and there weren't really any case studies of what Ringstar could do. Now we're four years down the line. I think it's more mature, and I imagine Schaefer will be out there networking, getting a sense of who he wants to sign and who you know, and David will be getting a sense of who he wants to sign and promote because ultimately David wants people who do what draw money. That's all David wants to know. Can you draw money? Because if you can draw money, then the David Hay voice, the name checking, the promoting is like adding fuel to the fire. But if you can't do that, you're not going to box on a Haymaker show. And I wouldn't be surprised if they are tooling up to get some of the names for 2020. Because who wouldn't want to be associated with David Hay? But there's a story about this World Boxing Super Series that no one's really talking about. Have Comoza, the guys who actually own the World Boxing Super Series, got any money? This is ultimately my question, because it all seemed to happen very quickly that Josh Taylor became a matchroom fighter and suddenly the World Boxing Super Series is on Sky. Okay, fine, but why? I thought Camosa were giving out ridiculous prize funds and they had everything set up and it all looked like a massive win. But you look at it now compared to last year. And it feels like it's in disarray. It almost feels like Kamosa have run out of money. So if you go back to the first iteration of the World Boxing Super Series, Kamosa commissioned its own production crew. That's why the production was so amazing. They had their own people, managers from end to end. From what I've heard, those guys will no longer be doing it. Well, at least they will not be filming it. So the production is all Sky. For the Taylor Gray final, the production is all Sky. For the Inoue Dine final, it is the Japanese broadcaster who will bear the cost of that production. So we actually don't know what it's going to look like. Is it going to look like a standard Sky show? Is it going to look like a standard World Boxing Super Series show? These are the answers we need. But what's clear is that they've run out of money. And Hearn, being part of the original group that set this up, has stepped in and said, well, we'll put it on Sky and we'll see what we can do. What can we salvage here? Because that's what it is now, it's a salvage operation. So you're going to get two finals. We don't know about the third final because there's an ongoing court case for the cruiserweights to go, well, does does the semi-final need to be replayed was essentially the question, wasn't it? And so that's where we are. But right, you've got commoer in disarray, but no one's really talking about it. So you're like, all right, you know the original twelve month cycle we're now looking at an October finish, a November finish, and if the court re- and the court issues get resolved, maybe a december January finish. now we're becoming like the Super Six tournament, where it's getting so long we don't care, but based on that, now we're getting the short form, we're getting ultimate boxer, we're getting the golden contract. We're getting all these tournaments that are now cropping up now, which give us that short-term gratification. It all happens in a short space of time. Exactly what the fans need. Shorter forms of the sport, and in contrast to that, you're giving us these 12-round long-form tournaments that we lose interest in very quickly. And yeah, and when this goes that I might get criticism from the hardcore boxing fans going, if you were really a boxing fan, you'd love Pro taylor I don't give a monkeys about Pro taylor It doesn't tell me anything. It's a platform fight for me. Because whoever wins that, if Taylor wins it, he goes up to 147. I don't see what he's got left to prove at 140. If Progre wins it, can he get down to 135? Be a factor there. Can he get a Lomachenko fight? These are all questions we need to ask, but but it is. It's it's almost a crossroads for these guys because at 140, once these guys are done with each other, they're not going to draw money any other way. And I think I've mentioned this before in podcasts. The World Boxing Super Series has been great at building stars and not capitalizing on them. So they're basically turned pro grade and Taylor into stars. Now different promoters will now monetize all that equity that's been built into them. Just like Usyk is now prime property for more DAZN and Matchroom. Why? Because of the World Boxing Super Series. They never got to capitalize on it, and this was always the risk. While we investing in fighters that aren't ours. For very little upside. But we'll see what happens on October 26th. I just somehow believe that this won't be a pay-per-view fight. And if it is, it will do so badly that Sky will just say this World Boxing Super Series concept is dead. And so this might be the last season we see of it. Or it might come back in a different form. I have no idea. But what I do know right now is, between Kamosa, the World Boxing Super Series, and the broadcasters, it's all a bit of a mess. So, the, hmm, how do you approach this? So, I love Clarissa Shields. She frustrates me. She grates. She irritates. She does a lot of things. But I love the fact that she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. I love the fact that she bats for her corner so hard. I mean, she doesn't back down from anyone. She's taken on every challenge. 168, 160, Now, even more so, I love the fact that she's got her own promotional company. And the reason I love that is she understands that no one's going to give her anything. She's going to have to go out there and take it. She's going to have to go out there and earn it. And when she does, hopefully it all goes into her own pocket. Now, I don't know the the legal setup of the company, so I don't know if, if it's wholly hers, if it's a subsidiary. No idea, but I like it. But there's something about Clarissa Shields where... It's getting to the point where, in the interest of her own economic viability, she's going to have to get control of her career. You, you can't be a loose cannon your whole life and expect to make a lot of money. And people go, well, Mike Tyson did it. But remember, Mike Tyson's real earning peak, he had people around him that had all of that taken care of. You know, I don't think Clarissa has that. So I was watching the weigh-in today. Or the final face-to-face. I have no idea what it was. But on one hand, I was happy because there were a lot more women front and centre than you see at most boxing events. That was good. It was nice to have a different look to things. But it all felt a bit parish council bake sale. You know, you just had all... It was a motley crew of people who you, you suspect know nothing about boxing. It was like a physical representation of boxing Twitter where you had two boxers and a load of people who no one knows anything about. And you're like, ah, whatever. But the distressing thing about this weigh-in was the opponent's coach, Nazarin, I don't know what her name is, have no interest. But the, there's an argument between the two coaches, and I think Chris Shield said something, and the guy got angry because you know he felt disrespected. And, and this all happens, and Fight Hype captures this, so if you want to go to their website, you'll see it. And, you know, he's frustrated, he's annoyed, he sits down to calm down. And then in the next scene, they cut to the same trainer laid on the floor, clearly knocked out, and his head's been cut open. So there's blood on the floor, there's police everywhere. And you're saying, well, you've just launched T-Rex promotions, and now the biggest event is the fact that your opponent's trainer has been knocked out and is in hospital. And so what do you say about the fight? Does the fight even carry on? You know? And it's this sort of sloppiness that doesn't help Clarissa Shields because at no point has she tried to clean up her own reputation. And there's only so many times that people can say to someone, you're blowing it, before you actually say, I don't think, she will, I don't think she'll be good for the economic potential of the sport. And I don't want that to be true. But it was distressing to see, and it was... It... Listen, the bottom line is, on that card is Jerome Ennis, and Jerome Ennis is the truth. Jerome Ennis is the one guy that a year and a half from now, you'll be saying, why doesn't this guy fight Crawford? Why doesn't this guy fight Errol Spence? He's that good. You know, Classic Philly fighter, and I know someone's going to inbox me and they're going to go, oh, look at how much I know about Jerome Ennis. I don't care. Don't inbox me. Leave me alone. What I do want to say is, I'd like to see this guy get a profile now. He's had his time. He, he, he parallels neatly with Conor Ben. Where Conor Ben's done it all in the limelight, Jerome Ennis has done it off the grid. But he looks a serious contender. So we'll see. Ho- you know, hopefully, you guys get to watch, and then I'd like to know your views on Jerome Ennis. From the people I've spoken to, the guy's the real deal. But no, back to T Rex Promotions. Wasn't the greatest start for Clarissa Shields on that one. That's right. Big up my brother, Mother and Jay. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Master genius. You know what I mean? The pack technician. The man that- oh, oh, Lord. Lord, 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 Lord. There's this real trend at the moment. And I've got to be careful how I frame this because it captures me to an extent. There's a real narcissism in boxing that believes that... I care, or that the fans care, about characters in boxing outside of their lane in boxing. So, I think is a great trainer. I think Tunde's an interesting character. I don't believe he puts words together strong enough to helm a podcast. I don't think Spencer Fearon does either. And I think you'll find that the fans will probably agree on that. Because what are you going to talk about, right? The value in having someone in boxing talking about boxing is that they will tell you something you don't already know, right? But when you're in boxing, you're disincentivized from telling people what's going on in boxing because you will get excluded, That's why no one talks about the drugs people take in boxing. That's why no one talks about the drinking culture in boxing. That's why no one talks about people who take the piss in boxing. No one ever talks about these people because it's a gravy train that everyone feeds off. So look at these podcasts, right? And I'm lucky enough. I've been doing this long enough. I know where to get numbers from to tell me who's doing what. So I know what I do as a podcast. I know how strong mine is. I know... I have a range between 400 and 2,000 listens per podcast, depending on what I talk about. If I put Eddie Hearn in the title of this, numbers go up. If I put, for the hardcores on this, numbers kind of, eh, whatever. And if I put The Legend of Bobby Joe, well, that wasn't Bobby James, but yeah, the numbers still go, eh. So I know who's doing what. So Macklin and Andy Clark do a podcast. They get Mark Rygate on there. It does bad numbers. It, it, it does numbers that none of my podcasts were doing. If they did, I'd have hung the stuff up and I'd have sold it to someone else. Peter McDonough's now trying to do his podcast. And Peter McDonough's that character, right? But he's a character by osmosis because everyone just goes, Peter McDonough's a character. Peter McDonough's a character. But it's more what he does as opposed to what he says. When Peter McDonough talks, he's actually a really knowledgeable and intelligent guy. But now he's on the podcast path. I think he's realising that actually his reputation doesn't count for much in the podcast world because we don't know if you can deliver or not. Martin Theobald, Andy White, Terry Chapandama. You know these names deliver. Why? Because we've delivered week in, week out for a number of years. We were like them before, but we stuck at it. We stuck at it A, because we like each other. B, because we had something to say. And we were unafraid of who we upset in saying it. And I don't believe any of these branded podcasts can do that. Tunde Ajayi cannot go on there and say Boxer X was poor because he might have to do business with that guy. And we know what Spencer Fearon's like. He just doesn't. Like, he might, you know, he might tell you about a fight from 1851, but that's about it. And I'm not saying that they're bad people, they're good people. They're just not podcast people because we're not that interested in it. My podcast test is this, very simply, would I want to sit there and have a beer with you and listen to you over a beer? If the answer is no, I won't listen to you. And it's the test I apply to myself. I always say, is this the sort of thing I'd be, would I be like this in a pub? And it's kind of, to an extent, yeah. You know, obviously I have to modify it so it's consumable. But yeah. So when I see this wave of podcasts and people just believing that it's easy, speak it, believe it, become it, No, work at it, be smart, be articulate, put your words together, practice. You know, Have some respect, like, like I have respect for people who, who get in the ring. Have some respect for people who sit behind a microphone because it's not just the 20 to 30 minutes you hear. It's everything that sits to the front of that, to the back of that, and all around that, that matters. So let's see who's still doing this a year from now. The Framptons, the Macklins, the Clarks, the McDonalds, whoever. Let's see who's still doing it. Because you're going to realise, one, you have to really love it to do it because there's no money in this. Yeah, You're not going to flip this into something you can sell to people. You're just not because you're not going to do numbers. Nobody's going to do those numbers. So I remember seeing the numbers from Sky's toe-to-toe at its peak, and it's fallen off a lot recently. But it's that sort of like Ed Robinson, Ed Draper, Spencer Fear on peak. If they were doing 3,000 downloads a week, it was good. Like, insanely good. Now, their numbers I still shoot for now. And I know how hard that is to do, because boxing is not a big market. You know, we like to think boxing's bigger than it is. I was talking to an ex-boxer, but hopefully he comes back. A guy called Craig Wyatt. Craig Wyatt's a great guy, absolutely brilliant. And we're talking about this. People in boxing assume it's bigger than it is because they live in this echo chamber where all they see is loads and loads of boxing people. And they meet loads of people interested in boxing. But when you step out of that bubble, no one knows who the F anyone is. You know, O'Hara Davis can walk through Bristol. People won't really recognise him unless they're boxing fans. Anthony Joshua, on the other hand, is recognisable. But boxing is a really tiny market. And everyone is doing podcasts about what's going on in boxing. And then it's an opinion game. And my opinion is, you know what I mean? My opinion is my opinion, Spencer Fearon's opinion is Spencer Fearon's opinion. But there's not much he's going to say that's different from what I'm going to say. We saw the same fight. We know the result. So my challenge to all these boxing podcasts is tell me something different. Kick the chessboard up in the air. But not many people do. And that's what makes it hard for a podcast like this, to be honest and be itself, because there's so much noise where people just go, "Ah, I don't want to hear the same nonsense anymore. And so hopefully I don't provide the same nonsense. Or if I do, at least I do it first. <laughs> but that's, but no. So when I see guys like Tim they're doing it, I'm, I'm, I can't sit there and go, I'm not happy that they're doing it. I don't mind that they do it or that they don't do it. But as long as they understand that there's no money in this, and eventually like life will get in the way and it will just fall by the wayside. But at least they've had a go, I guess. But here's a bit of a tease and a preamble for something that I'd like to touch on further. You know, I'm really trying not to breach my time limits on this, so this might be another podcast. But here's just a gentle teaser for you guys. These guys who we signed initially when we launched a zone, we're a year in. So most of their contracts, some of them are coming to an end. And we're talking about extending those contracts and sitting down. And, you know, the, the landscape's changing a little bit. I think Top Rank and PBC would love for us to stop spending so much money. And I think the zone would probably say let's just be sensible now to the purses let's look at who's delivering the numbers who's putting the bums on seats